Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. From South Central Los Angeles, this is Adam Huss. Thank you for listening. Today, we take a trip to the country to meet Craig Camp, the general manager of Troon Vineyards in the Applegate Valley AVA of Southwest Oregon. Troon is a certified organic and biodynamic winery and a state vineyard that focuses on blends made from the grapes of southern France, which seem to do extremely well in this northern area with a hot Mediterranean climate. Craig was brought in to regenerate every aspect of Troon, and we had a very enjoyable conversation about everything that's happening there that he's helped implement, from staff education to sheepdogs to organic vegetable gardens and more. Even from the outside, it's exciting to hear about what he's doing, and you can hear the excitement in the way he talks about it. Craig has a personal story in regards to wine that I can relate to as well. He fell in love with wine far away from where it was grown, and over the course of his life and several career changes, he worked backwards toward an understanding of how the finest wine begins in a healthy probiotic soil. So come along on this trip into the Siskiyou Mountains of Southern Oregon with Craig Camp as our guide. We'll leave the noise of the city behind and move into the bright, beautiful, biodynamic future of Troon Vineyards. Enjoy. Hi, Craig. <laughs> Thanks Hi. so much for joining me. <laughs> Good morning, uh, or, or, Good morning. or whenever this is going to show, but right. uh, um, happy to be with you. Thanks. Likewise. So you are the general manager at Troon Vineyards in the Applegate Valley of Oregon. Is that, is that That's right? Correct. Did I get That's all that correct. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to, can you start by sort of orienting us where the Applegate Valley and Troon are in Oregon and, and what that's like? Sure. So we are uh, in the Siskiyou Mountains. So we're in the extreme southwestern uh, part of Oregon. So we're about 60 miles from the Pacific Ocean and about an hour's drive from the California border. And uh, unlike Willamette Valley, which is more rolling hills and things, we are actually in the mountains here. So out of my window now, I can see Grayback Peak, which is at 6,000 feet. So a totally different growing area than Willamette Valley. Right. You you guys have, I, I take it, tend to have much warmer days during the summer, during the growing season. Right. We're Prior. sort of, uh, you know, kind of in between Willamette and Napa, uh, both physically and uh, weather-wise. Right. So uh, uh, we are drier and warmer than Willamette Valley. Uh but we have a, uh, a shorter uh, growing season and a bigger diurnal shift than they would in Napa. So, oh, really? How big? Yeah, well, 40 to 50 degrees would be a pretty typical shift. Wow. Yeah, so we can be, it can be over 100 in the afternoon, and then about 4 o'clock the wind will kick in coming down the, the Rogue and the Applegate River, and by 9 o'clock it's 50 so it's, so, wow. it's, it's pretty dramatic. So we get, it's a very different t growing season. So, uh, even though it's much shorter than you would see in California at, at the longest day of the year, we're getting, uh, just over 70 minutes more daylight than you would in Napa. So, so we're able to make up the photosynthesis by having those longer days. Oh yeah. And, but then we flip it when we get the, October and to harvest, the days get shorter and while well, right. it's still warm. So 
they get so short towards the end that photosynthesis basically comes to a crawl. And so we can hang fruit for an extended period of time without getting elevated sugars while maintaining acidity. So you get uh, wines with moderate alcohol and high acidity. So yeah, I was going to say, that sounds really optimal, actually, for, for, yeah, for, for high, high quality good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's ideal for southern French varieties here. It's a little warm for, for Pinot, and the season's really not long enough for Cabernet. And okay. I, I, I suppose we're fortunate we didn't have to get into those varieties. There seems to be enough of those around anyway. So we're we're we're, we're definitely focused on Rhone varieties and the and the varieties you see in uh, southwestern France. And if you look at a map, are you you guys are sort of on the same parallel as uh, as the those as Provence and those regions, aren't you? Yes, we are, but we have this. Uh, minor body of water right next to us called the Pacific Ocean that, that kind of <laughs> a alters, cooling. alters the climate from them. But what we do have is, is is that Mediterranean climate. So we have warm, very dry summers. Uh, right. Typical to most of the West Coast, we get all of our rain in the winter. So it's, it, it's, it's desert-like conditions here, you know, in the summertime. So, right. So that yep. makes, you know, it's just, it's a, again, so it fits that type of growing cycle. Uh, the, the, the challenges we have really are frost in the spring and fall. Uh, mm. And I think this is where Syrah is really coming in because it, 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 it ripens a little earlier than some of these other varieties. So Syrah, I think, is really uh, dialed in for our growing area. Oh, nice. Nice. And uh, I'm, I'm just imagining with these diurnal shifts, you must have some pretty creative uh, fashion choices in that area. Yes, yes. Layering is the uh, the key to uh, <laughs> <everything>. <laughs> Nice. Typical Oregonian fashion. You know, we're wearing layers of uh, Columbia. So. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. I, soil-wise, what, what do you guys like in that area? And, uh, you, and I was going to ask you, you guys, did you guys have some fire? Not this year, but... A year ago, you were part well, of well. Actually, there's yeah, there's been fire, several fires here, like most of the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, uh, over the last couple of years, uh, we have been spared an actual fire in the Applegate Valley, but certainly our neighbors have uh, suffered in the in the Rogue Valley, just to the uh, east of us. Uh, mm. Really had that uh, terrible fire last year that uh, destroyed two towns. And, wow. Uh, and. Uh, and, you know, but then, you know, it's basically there were fires from L.A. to British Columbia. So we were right. just uh, yeah. just uh, one of many. Yeah. And all the way to Colorado and yeah. Montana. I mean, it was pretty much the whole everywhere west of the, the Continental Divide was on fire. It seemed like at one point. Yeah, we seem pretty lucky here for our site. We're in a, a, a in the widest part of uh, uh, the Applegate Valley. Okay, and there's a lot of air circulation here, so we seem to, uh, you know, we went through all the smoke protocols uh, last year. We did the uh, microferments and 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 so forth, and we uh, escaped uh, any 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 smoke issues. So nice. we're fortunate in that in that wow. in that case. But I think it has something to do with the air circulation here, so it forces the heavier smoke just a little higher. And 
but this is yeah. all theory. It's all theory, you know. We don't know anything <laughs> about any of this. So, <laughs> well, you know, if it benefits you, the theory must be good. I think. Right. Um, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> are there any? Uh, are, what are like the the towns or population centers around there? Well, the one that, that most people uh, know is Ashland. Uh, okay. The, you know the Shakespeare Festival. Sure. But then yeah. there's uh, the other towns are Medford and and Grants Pass. Uh, are they are, actually in the Applegate Valley? Or are they? No, no, they're in the Rogue Valley. Uh, actually, okay. are in the Rogue Valley. But then you come over to Grants Pass and uh, Jackson, Jacksonville, uh, okay. which is the Jacksonville is kind of the entryway into the Applegate. After you get go out of town, there you cross over, and you see a bit. You know, there's a big difference between the two areas. Uh, the Rogue looks more like California, with the kind of uh, more barren hillsides and a drier, gotcha. warmer look. Then you cross over into the Applegate and you get, uh, you, you become, you enter Oregon, you know, you're into pine trees and green and things like that. We just get a little bit more, we get enough rain compared to them that it changes the whole topography. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like you're a, a little in the middle of nowhere. Is that, we, is that yes, fair to say? That would be that would be an accurate uh, uh, description. That uh, uh, this is a, uh, uh, a remote rural area, uh, very much driven by agriculture, mixed agriculture. Well, and, and uh, but the the wine has uh, wine growing has really taken off here. Uh, yeah, several hundred wineries now in Southern Oregon. And, and, uh, um, you know, the, the range of varieties is, is quite broad as you would expect in most newer regions, but, uh, yeah. it definitely seems to be focusing down around, uh, Southern French varieties as the, the key yeah. to the area. Well, that's great. There hasn't, I'm trying to think, you know, there's certain little spots, you know, I'm, I'm down in Los Angeles. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of California. There isn't, I mean, Syrah has been sort of the. The, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know, it just hasn't done well for a while. And I think it's due, it's, it's due some, some love and some attention. So I, I would be excited for you guys to become that region that is, you know, the Northern Rhone of, of the West Coast or something. That would be great. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a relatively early ripener for as far as the Rhone red varieties go. And I think that it struggles a bit. Uh, in hotter climates. And, and mm. I think the key to Syrah in this area is that cooler uh, fall that we get in that extended ripening period without uh, the sugars going up. Yeah, I actually uh, have a little front yard experimental vineyard of 15 vines and it's all Syrah. And I, I mm-hmm. picked in July at 22 yeah, right. breaks this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty vigorous <laughs> vine. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, that's the other thing. I just have to, that's most of my viticulture is controlling the vigor, honestly. Yes, right, right. Um, well, that's great. So a couple of questions about, you guys have a, well, one is a, a personal question. I'm trying to convince my wife to move to wine country, and she definitely likes Los Angeles. What 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 can you say about moving because you've made that move right you've made the move from a more populous area to where you are now what what can you tell me to tell her to <laughs> well, i mean persuade. there's different types of uh moving to wine country you know uh, that's true i, I was true. in napa for about a decade and uh it's not quite the same rural experience that right that having 
having right now. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm here because of the wine, you know, I came here right. because of the wine. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful area. It's, it's certainly one of the most beautiful, uh, parts of the West coast. So that is, that is a great advantage. Of course, do we miss the, uh, the culture and restaurants of San Francisco? Absolutely. But you know, there's a trade-off if you want to grow grapes in a certain climate you kind of have to go where the climate is (laughs) (laughs) yeah and well and you guys are the other question i had is you guys are have a pretty decent production there at troon right this what's the size uh of of your output yeah we are in a midst of a big replanting project so it's a little reduced right now so we'll make about five thousand cases this year and uh, I, when everything's replanted, uh, we'll ha- we'll have about forty five acres of vines, and that'll be about nine thousand cases or so. And my question then is, is it hard to sell that wine when you're out in the middle of nowhere like that? Uh, I mean, well, when you're in a rural area, uh, you know, I think that's a challenge every winery uh, faces. Sure, yeah. And I I think we. I guess how to- do you do that then? What do you? What's your secret? Well, I don't know. If there's a secret to it. I think you just have to really work at it. Uh, you have to work extremely hard uh, at uh, communicating, but also you. I think you have to have a real story. I mean, a real reason for being. Uh, I mean, if you're going to just try to uh, uh, compete against the bigger industrial wineries, uh, they're, they're, they can pump out lots of clean wine. Um, that doesn't offend anybody and at a much lower cost than we could ever dream of doing it. So right. you have to want to make something that, that's got uh, uh, a, some, a real personality. It's an extension of uh, the things you believe in. I think when you're doing that, you have a different uh, connection to the marketplace. Because in our, fa- in our, in our case, we, we're, we're biodynamic um, certified and there are people that are looking for wines that are more naturally made and that allows us to connect to that section of the market. So there's uh, distributors now that focus on naturally made wines. There's uh, uh, restaurants and wine shops where that that's their focus. So it's just a job of, uh, you, you know, you have to do your detective work and, and find the people that share your beliefs and then, uh, then you have to put it in the bottle. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really, it comes down to that. You got to put it in the bottle. There's a lot of good wine out there. And if you don't, uh, um, don't put something special in the bottle, you're going to have a tough time. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, you've alluded to that story and I, as a, as a sort of segue into that, um, I mean, you were essentially brought on to literally regenerate that, that vineyard, right? The, yes. the you, do you want to do you want to just talk about that and you know where what that well, what that journey's been like? Yeah, Troon is is a, an historic site. It was planted in uh, 1972 by Dick Troon, uh, and hence the name. And it right. was a uh, you know he was a typical farmer of the area. I don't think he did it out of any uh, great passion for wine. He did it as a as a farmer would selecting a crop that he thought he could get a better price for. And that led him into wine production over the years. Then he sold that to uh, to another family who, who operated it more as a uh, more commercially and industrially. 
And when I first saw it, I, I really felt that this was a, a unique site with special soils, these decomposed granites at that, you know, the vineyard tops out about 1400 feet. And uh, it's just a very unique area. I've been buying fruit uh, from the area in the past. And so I had my eye on it and it just seemed like a unique opportunity to take a, take a site that had great potential and, and let it express itself. And that's what led me to biodynamics after years of, uh, uh, you know, aggressive commercial farming, the soils really needed a lot of work. So it mm. became a, a, a process, not only of, uh, uh, regenerating the brand, but regenerating the entire property and the, 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 the soil itself. Gotcha. And you've used biodynamic agriculture as well as, uh, you know, I, I've been reading a, into your blog a little bit and seeing that you, you sort of discovered, uh, as I have recently, the regenerative organic certification mm -hmm. as well. Are you, are you, you, you have multiple certifications, right? Yes. So we, right now we have the, 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 uh, CCOF organic and the Demeter biodynamic, and we're working on the, uh, this new regenerative organic certification, which I really like the, the concept of yeah, me organic too. certification, you know, organics has always been more telling you what you can't use. Right. Don't use this. Don't use that. Uh, and, and then biodynamics has always been focused upon around regeneration, but there's also an unusual uh, spiritual aspect to it that I think a lot of people don't buy into. And we, we didn't pursue it on a spiritual level, but on a, as a practical framework for regenerative agriculture. And I think this new certification kind of combines all those things because uh, they honor the, you know, your Demeter biodynamic certified, you're, you're uh, two thirds of the way to your uh, certification with them. And, and you have to be organic certified to even apply. So what they're doing then is, is combining the aspects of regenerated, regenerative agriculture, but they're also adding in things like, uh, uh, you know, an, the care of animals and, and, and a social pillar for how you, you treat your employees and, 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 and staff. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete process, which I think is important in regenerative agriculture. And it's been one of the aspects of biodynamics that I've found so um, uh, exciting is that it, it, it certainly changes your farm, but it also changes the culture of your company. And I think people feel that they're involved in a different type of project and it becomes a, 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 an inspirational team goal to, to achieve and keep those certifications. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I mean, I, uh, especially the, the attention that's paid to vineyard workers and the staff in general at the winery and and that sense of a of a bigger mission that you're not just earning a paycheck you're actually participating in something that adds meaning to your life and other people's lives right such such a great aspect of that right and i think that's uh, how you you achieve higher levels of quality you know and you know everybody's out there yeah. uh in the vineyard and in the cellar and, and in the tasting room working on on the same mission mission to uh, uh, improve quality and then communicate that quality. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've said in the past about my feelings about how strange it is that so much wine, so much fine wine, is 
is grown by people that never get to taste it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And it's like, it seems right. like that's just low hanging fruit. If you want to increase quality, you, you want those people who are actually putting the, the number one stamp on the finished product to have a sense of what that finished product is going to yeah. be. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. It's been a challenge for us to find, I've been searching to find uh, more literature about biodynamics in Spanish. And it's not yeah. that easy, I found, I, I, which confuses me because I'm sure there's people in Spain that practice biodynamics, but the, right. the, the books don't seem to have made it over here. And that's, that's one of my big missions is to get, to build up a library in Spanish so that the uh, vineyard crew can more deeply understand what we're trying to achieve. Well, I mean, since we're talking about this, I, you know, in looking through the Truen website, I, I noticed, um, and I, I'm guessing you're responsible since you've been part of this big, uh, the new ownership and the revitalization of this, that you do a lot of training of your staff and, and yes. uh, W, in, to the, to the extent of having them become WSET educator certified. Right. Is that true of all staff? I mean, wh- who, who does that and what, well, was the, the, what was your purpose in doing that? The, the tasting room staff is, and on the sales staff, we're all certified. Uh, Nate Winters, uh, uh, our national sales manager, is a certified sommelier with the court, with master sommeliers. Uh, and then our, our tasting room staff, it, they all go through WSET. Uh, at least level one, and most are on to, uh, I, I think all are beyond level one now and either on two or three. And, I, I, you know, that they, we want them to be wine educators and to be really uh, informed so they can really communicate well to the customers. And I think it also you know, becomes a sense of pride for them. You know, they, the diplomas uh, go up on the wall in the tasting room and, and oh, uh, that's it's a little ceremony. So it's, 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 it's just an important aspect of, you know, you're, you want to be constantly developing uh, the entire team. And we try to do that, you know, for the, the vineyard crew to attend the, the very, you know, the agricultural extension seminars that they do in the area. So we make time for them to do that. Uh, the vineyard, the winery crew, like most winery crews, are, are very aggressive in seeking out additional education. But this is something we do as a company, and we and we pay for the entire process for these certifications. So, oh, that's that's very yeah, time to do it. I mean, they're expensive, and, so we want. To yeah, yeah, it definitely. Once you get, I mean, I went down the WSE. Well, both certification routes and yeah it's like you can do the first one you're like oh this is great and then you go to do the second one you're like wait a minute the price is done right. and then if we right. do the third one it's tripled yeah right uh, yeah. or more yeah yeah once they got uh, you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like, well, that's uh smart very smart um, <laughs> yeah so you know i discovered you recently because of a blog post of yours uh that was linked in wine in a wine business email that I'm on there, you know, uh-huh. on their sort of daily email list. Um, uh, it was your post called dirt is not terroir. Correct. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love, I, the uh, fun read, you know, I, I think you and I see eye to eye about so many things, which is also why I wanted to just talk to you. I thought we'd have plenty to plenty of stuff to right. plenty of ideas to share. Um, I, I should actually start bringing people on that I disagree with, you know, there you go. Yeah. More controversy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, but how, how do you, how does one, you know, as a, 
blogger myself. How does one get featured in wine business email as oh, get a blog post? You got me. As a, <laughs> they just found I'm you. Surprised huh? when I do that. Uh, That's um, great. Uh, I've been doing it a long time. Uh, yeah, I started blogging when it was like this new thing, and uh, right, uh, just by chance met some people that were uh, involved in tech, and they got me going on it. And uh, I'd actually had some journalism background when I was in college. So I guess the two just kind of came together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a self-expression. It's a great way to think things through, uh, yeah. yourself as to how you feel and why you're, you're, you're pursuing these things. And so for me, it's, it's, it's just more of a personal statement about what I'm doing and why. I, I don't feel like you know, some people that are trying to make what writing careers, obviously they feel more pressure to get it out. And I, I mm. tend to try to get, you know, once or twice a month, get something out of, of what I'm thinking about what I'm doing. Of course, it's all based basically around wine and agriculture, mostly agriculture. These days <laughs> seem, to have, right, right. seem to have changed my uh, uh, emphasis over the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I liked about that article. Um, you, you talked about this transition of your reading and how, you know, you, you were on these tasting trips in Bordeaux, et cetera, and you'd be reading up on the, the vineyards and everything that you're about to taste or had tasted. And now you're looking at your reading list and, you know, every book that you've read in the last, you know, couple months has, is something about dirt or soil. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. And it seems like you kind of went through a transition in your life and career that that mirrors can you do you want to talk about that and where where you came from and what that was like both professionally and personally that that sort of transition in your thinking well i, I started off as a uh, importer and distributor in chicago uh, in uh, 1980 and and like i guess most people where you're when you're not based where the wine is made you get focused on the end product and you think that's where all the, the answers are and the, it's the, how it's made. And mm -hmm. just watching and tasting wines over the decades, you slowly transform into understanding what makes a wine special is, is how it's grown, is that the mm -hmm. winemaking at its best becomes minimalist. And yeah. if you're going to do a minimalist winemaking, you have to have a really healthy, healthy fruit. You, know, yeah. you, you see some really dramatic contrasts. I think one of the classics is uh, Burgundy in the Willamette Valley, where you've got uh, Willamette Valley is grown on volcanic uh, acidic soils. Mm -hmm. And you've got Burgundy that's grown on basic limestone soils. So totally right. different soil types. But it's easy to confuse the two. You know, if you taste a Burgundy and Oregon Pinot Noir, many an expert will confuse them. So why is that? And it just seems that the, the one thing that they have in common is going to be the microbiology. And mm -hmm. if you have a healthy microbiology in your soil, you're going to end up with a, uh, a healthy vine that's going to give you expressive fruit. And that's what really makes the difference. So that the, the range of soil types that can grow good wine is broader than probably people used to think, but it's really based around how it's farmed and the type of, of microbiology you get in the soil. So it's that, you, I think it's like anything else. You just taste and taste and taste and you realize that 
certain wines have this energy and life in them. And that's really what led me to biodynamics is, hmm. you know, it's, it's like most people, the first time I heard about biodynamics, I thought, well, that sounds crazy. But then I kept tasting wines, I kept tasting wines and turned it over and there would be, you know, the biodynamic certification and, and eventually quality convinces you. And, yeah. and then I began, began to pursue that. And as I pursued it, I find that most, most wine growers are, 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 are what I call practical biodynamic practitioners. They don't really follow the, the more spiritual side of it. They're following the, the regenerative agriculture uh, aspects. And, yeah. and that's what really makes the difference, I think. So biodynamics, you know, who knows what it's going to be like in, in 50 years. Um, it, it, it's obviously there's parts of it that work and there's probably parts of it that don't work. We just don't know which one's yeah. doing that. So at this point, we're going to follow that framework. And I think over the years, then you generally will develop your own model for your own farm. And I think yeah. that's, that's where the real, the real secret's at. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, that sense of the, the farm is, you know, as unnatural as, as farming is, is to try to replicate the natural world and and a natural holistic ecosystem within the farm, uh, is, might be more important to that energy that we taste in the wines than, yes. than any of the sort of, you know, moon phase type stuff that yes. is part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I find that really interesting as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, we try to follow the the uh, uh, the the moon. Uh, yeah, but it, you know, then but common sense will kick in too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's if if, if yeah, it's, you know, I, I always that. look up on that, that is like you're going for that little extra something, right? In right, the wine. right. But you know, if it's going to rain the next day, and and. Uh, you're harvesting and it tells you it's the wrong day. You go ahead and harvest because right. any possible uh, uh, increase in quality you could get from harvesting on the right day would be negated by the rain. So, Right. Yeah. I've, I've heard the same refrain from other biodynamics. Yeah. It's like you, you try to follow it as those, those calendar marks as much as possible, but then logistics and practical considers considerations obviously trump those whenever whenever so say if a picking crew isn't available then you can't pick that day right you know? right um, it's an uh, interesting process though what i find about about trying to structure your uh your vineyard work schedule around a calendar like that is you really makes you think through things you know mm, you're really yeah. you're really thinking about the process and planning out well in advance uh, uh, what you're going to do and why you're going to do it. Do you, do you recommend any books for folks who are interested in, especially, you know, making a plan for their vineyards and winery, uh, or just learning about, you know, some of these things that are, are you find to be the, the more important, more effective elements of biodynamics? Well, the kind of, the kind of the base, book for wine growing is still Monty Walden's uh, Biodynamic Wine, uh, okay. which is the most uh, kind of complete book. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some of it, so much of it online now, too. You, you just have to get into it. When I wanted to go, to, decided to take this farm to Biodynamics, one of the first things I did is bring in a consultant. 
uh, Andrew Beatty. Gotcha. And, uh, uh, and he has been, you know, our guide through this process because it's it's extremely complicated. There's a lot of moving parts that you're trying to do all at once. And what's what he, what's been great about working with Andrew is that he has as he takes a layered approach. You know, you're not trying to just go cold turkey all the way and do everything all at once is every year you start to do more and do more and do more mm. until you arrive at, 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 at where you're, where you're doing every aspect. How, how does one find a biodynamic consultant? Well, that was, <laughs> I, I, I had the same question and, and I actually <laughs> just called a uh, uh, Demeter. Okay. And yeah. asked for some names and they gave me Got some it. names and I called, uh, uh, several people and Andrew really st- stuck out to me in the conversations because he is a, a really believes in the practical side of biodynamics. You know, he's he's about a, making a real working farm in a in a biodynamic system. Uh, so nice. that that's real important because it can get, you know, some people can get a little off the end on what you're supposed to do and not do and things like that. So. Um, <laughs> I think that that was a key aspect because there's not there's not like one Bible you can go to that's going to say, OK, here's all your stuff. Right. You know, it's like yeah. you're you're getting there's several books out. So a lot of the books on biodynamics are old. Uh, right. But so you're just developing a system. And the main thing is you're focusing on this composting system. You know, basically everything's around this various types of composting and fermentations. Right. So the biggest project by far is uh, our composting program. So I'm very fortunate that our next door neighbor is an organic dairy, Noble Dairy, and Mm, they have thousands of heads. So manure I've got, and it's literally right (laughs) from the neighborhood, you know, so it's, 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 it's almost as good as being on the farm itself, but we, we, we use a lot. So I, I purchase about 800 yards a year of manure from them. And then, and then we, we apply then uh, compost after harvest to the entire property. Uh, so it's two tons an acre for uh, producing land and five tons an acre for um, uh, the new plantings. And, then, okay. and also when, when we, every, every vine we plant, the whole gets a shovel full of compost. And um, even, even the thing, you know, look at all the, the, the like the preparations, most of the preparations of uh, uh, 502 through 507 go on the compost pile. It's only 500 and 501 are the only ones that are applied in the vineyard and occasionally uh-huh. 508 or still, but main two. So 500, which is the famous one, you know, cause everybody likes to take pictures of the cow horns and manure. Right. Um, yeah. All you're doing is, is uh, another type of fermentation and then right. uh, uh, collecting the microbiology of your own soil and then you're making basically a compost tea out of the results and then apply and you apply that to the soil of the vineyard. So these things are inoculations. That's what you're trying to do. All the compost and the, and the preparations is basically it's an inoculation. People tend to think of compost as a uh, fertilizer, but that's not right. the aspect we're looking for. Vines don't need a lot of nutrition. You know, they're not like soybeans and corn. We need massive nutrition. That's why they would always plant the vines, you know, on the, on the rocks on the hillside. And, uh, right. 
sorry for the phone. Nope. <laughs> um, right. and, and so, so, so what we're trying to do is then inoculate the soils and build up the microbiology. So we get the proper ripening and, and healthy vines. That's it's, it's, it's pretty basic. So people tend to think of biodynamics and all these other things, but what you're really focused on is this intensive probiotic program. Right. I, I mean, I've heard in my studies about soil science that, you know, probably what applies more to the vines is, is the, the communication with those microbes mm -hmm. uh, that, that create the resistance to diseases as well as just yeah. proper hormonal signaling so that, you know, they can respond to environmental factors. So you're getting, you know, they're, they're just, they're more vibrant. They're more able to adapt as, as temperature changes and, you know, events happen throughout, you know, a growing season that are unexpected or out of the norm. They're, they're prepared to do that and they can communicate quickly uh, with each other, with the soil and, and make changes as necessary so that they, you know, can survive and, and be healthy still. Um, yeah, exactly. We, we, you know, humans were very arrogant. You know, we think we know more about growing grapes than a vine does. And that's <laughs> not true. Uh, you know, I, our whole goal is to make the natural system, let the natural system work, you know, create an environment that the, the way the grapevine evolved can function. And if it's function, functioning, you're going to have a stronger vine. It's, it's only when we start to do all these interruptions that you start to get so many of these uh, uh, diseases and, and, and pests and all these problems and crops. It's our, our interruption that causes the exacerbates the issue, not, yeah. not the plant. Yeah. Well, so you and you had to do some quite a bit of new plantings uh, from what I understand. Did yes. You, you, yeah, we you, had. Uh, we have a lot of red blotch. Uh, a lot of the vines planted up here in the were in the whole of Southern Oregon, and actually a lot of California for that matter, came out of nurseries before they really identified it. So, you know, it spread pretty much through the area. So, between red blotch and uh, the fact that you know, I don't think the the, the ground had been prepared properly, so mm -hmm. there were a lot of root issues and. Like any 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 weakened plant, you're you're going, you're going to have other diseases. So there were a lot of trunk diseases and fun, you know fungal issues and things like that. So we we decided it'd be better to replant everything, which obviously is a very expensive undertaking. But at the same time, you can really research things and then and plant properly for your site. So we went through the whole process. We brought in uh, uh, Vineyard Cell Technologies. They're based in Napa. We, is that Paul Anamoso? Yes, that's Paul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So he was up here with a, a couple of PhDs for the week and yeah. dug, dug a 75, five foot deep uh, soil pits and produced this extensive wow. report. <laughs> it's some light reading, let me tell you. And, <laughs> and uh, so he took all that data. And then combined it, you know, with, with the climate data and then our own knowledge to come up with what to plant where. So what did you find? I mean, I'd be fascinated to know the sort of high level findings from what you guys, what, what the, what the results were from the, your, your pits and your samples and everything. Well, the base of course is your soil type. You know, just getting the soil types and breaking that yeah. down. Uh, there's like most 
uh, mountainous areas. We have many soil types in a very small area. Um, mm. where, where our site is, is uh, uh, the Siskiyou Mountains here were jammed into the coast by tectonic plate movements. So it's not volcanic. Uh, we don't Got have volcanic it. soils here. So we have, you know, decomposed granite. We have river sediments. We have ocean sediments. So these various gravels. And so when they run through uh, the property in these bands, you know, they're sliced all over the place. So that was the first, the first step was, was identifying exactly what soil was where on the property. And then digging into the, the, you know, the nematodes and the other microbiology and, and that and deciding what needed to be done uh, to the soils and how deep to rip for replantings, you know, extensive, uh, you know, it just covers every possible aspect you could think of, oh, wow. of, the, of the soil, the nutrition in the soil, the microbiology of the soil. And, uh, and, and you know, you, you see a lot of, you know, what you clearly identified in a, in a vineyard that was in the condition this one was where the problems were. And, um, and, and, and that's really, of course, led us back to biodynamics and that, and, and as the best approach to try to rebuild that soil health and to, um, give the natural microbiology a chance to, to resurface. And, are you guys practicing no-till? I mean, I know you, you probably have to rip when you're replanting. Yeah. Uh, but once you're planting, are, are you doing no-till or how are you treating the Yeah, soil it's going after? to no-till. It's a three-year process. So we, we rip the vineyard and it, it's tilled uh, several times in the first year while the vines are establishing themselves. And okay. then uh, in, in, in the second year, we, we plant the, 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 the no-till mix that we're looking to uh, develop okay. by third year we're in the full no-till got it and that that's a mix of seeds you mean yes no-till yeah, yeah. How, how do you pick that or what's your again it's looking it's on a nutritional basis and, okay and and there's there's time like certain we don't want to encourage any vectors for red blotch obviously so so we're looking for things you know they're, they're, they're not real clear on that either but leaf hoppers seem to be one of the more clearly right. identified vectors. So we are um, uh, avoiding, you know, some plants that, 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 that they all, that they like. So, Got it. Yeah. you know, so like, <laughs> like, like crimson clover would, would be something we normally would really want to, to include in the mix. And we're not because they, they like oh. clovers and things like that. Huh. That is really interesting. So, you know, we're looking for, for nutrition. So, you know, bra- it's a mix of grasses, brassicas and, 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 you know, all the, you know, it's trying to hit that various nutritional levels. And then, and then you can adjust it coming through with a, with a no-till cedar, uh, when you need, right. to, when you identify other problems, you can come in and put in other, other, uh, mixtures to solve whatever problem you may be dealing with. And also just to increase biodiversity. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is there a look to like local native uh, grasses and plants that could be used? Is that something that you guys can, can draw from? Uh, not, not so much. I mean, there's not real resources on that. Uh, Got it. We are, we have one section uh, that we are building uh, as a, I guess you'd call it a garden, but a walking area that's going to be all native species. So Got it. it's a, it's quite a project. Uh, to get those seeds and to collect them. And, and uh, we actually hired a, 
uh, a university professor who's helping us do that. Gotcha. It's, it's pretty complex. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I know. It's so much of that we, we've lost over the right. years, that right. knowledge. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. say what is native anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. There's the the stuff that's been around so long. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might as well be at this point. Yeah. Um, that's fun. I mean, there's so much agriculture here over the years. It's obviously brought in a lot of things. Has Is it is there enough of an infrastructure in terms of wine making and growing in Applegate Valley where you... You don't have to go very far to get the things you need, or, or are you remote in that sense as well, or you well, need to get, like, I don't know, I just imagine things that you're using in the vineyards or equipment have to come from bigger areas, or, or just labor even potentially have to come from Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's enough, uh, enough there, there's enough vineyards in the area between Rogue and Applegate uh, that, you know, okay. all the basic farm equipment, uh, Got dealers it. and things like that. You may not have the, the choice, <laughs> but they're, right. they're here. And, <laughs> um, and we work with, uh, you know, like Oregon vineyard supply has an outlet down here too. Okay. So it's not, I mean, it's a pretty significant, uh, base here. There's a lot of acreage of Pinot Noir through the area, which okay. is sold for the kind of the basic, uh, um, Oregon level. Pinot Noir, uh, like Oregon, the bigger Pinot, brand yeah. you see, because it's really easy to ripen down here and get a bigger style. Got it. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, um, so th- I mean, that's so that's some pretty significant agriculture. It's it's, it's uh, sure uh, going like there's a lot there's a lot of tons going out through that kind of development. Well, it does sound like a an area that's that's prime for having its moment as well, like uh, or you know some investment and and whatnot and or. Yeah, I think it is, and 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 there's 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 more and more there's more serious wineries here all the time, you know, yeah. and uh, and you know our in in uh, our fellow winery here in in Applegate Cowhorn Vineyard is also biodynamic has been for 15 years. So between the two of us, we actually represent a pretty good chunk of the uh, biodynamic wine in Oregon. Uh, huh. Two out of uh, was it 13 wineries? In the whole state, well, yeah, and hey, uh, at uh, so it, you know, there's it's Applegate's a significant player in the biodynamic wine market here. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, is there any local emphasis on on just organic biodynamic regenerative practices? Like, does is there any sort of combined thought about hey, maybe we should all sort of embrace? Uh, heading in this direction as a as a region or is well not this, there this, this 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 is oregon so there's a little yeah <laughs> of that tendency uh, uh anyway uh but certainly organics you see quite a quite a bit of organic agriculture uh, okay great area. Yeah. we have a fabulous farmer's market here with just tremendous uh selection of organic farms so yeah there, there's a lot of awareness of that uh i would say that uh you know, most of the wineries have some sort of certification, even if it's just a sustainable one like live or something like that. But, uh, it, yeah. but between, between, you know, there, there is a definitely awareness of that and, and interest in organic natural type products. I mean, a lot of people don't even know what biodynamics is, frankly, you know, I mean, they know oh. what organic is, but, but biodynamic, right. I mean, is really a niche 
concept yeah. to most people. Yeah, that's true. Still is. Um, do you want to talk about the wines that you guys make and and what you know? Since I mean, you mentioned the Rome varieties, but let's, let's what's going on with uh, what, what are your favorites and what's some of the interesting stuff that you you guys have that. So in our in our, our planting right now, so you know the the three main varieties we, we're focused on for reds are are uh, Syrah, Grenache, and Morvedra. Uh, but we're all. Can I ask you? I just want to jump in. How does your Morvedra do? Like, how does I'll, it? I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've it's it's a grape that I love. I'm a huge Bundol fan, yeah. and here, I mean. First of all, it's hard to find it. And then when you find it, it just, the way it performs is so, I mean, it, it is tough. It's a tough one. You, yeah. you can get it ripe, but then you lose all the acid, you know, yeah. you know, down here at least in this area is what I'm finding. And yeah, I've, I don't know. I've just, it seems plagued by various difficulties. And I'm, I'd be curious. Is, I mean, it seems like you have as much potential as anybody to, to do something great with it. So I'd be fascinated to see how that does for you yeah i mean we we have really low phs i mean uh we're we're well in oh, wow. threes all the time you know wow so that's uh, great. so in fact uh, we're, our, our phs are so low it really encourages us to do more whole cluster you know so okay so yeah stems can uh, uh, knock up that ph a little bit oh wow so yeah. which is great actually <laughs> you know i'm happy to do yeah. that but so uh I mean, we also planted Carignan. So Morvedra and Carignan are later varieties, uh, that's for sure. But uh, we are working on the uh, and the the idea that the climate's getting warmer here. So yeah. we're trying to think long term. I think you know these vines. Hopefully, they'll be here in fifty years. They'll still be here. Yeah. So, um, are you growing Senso? Yes, we planted Senso, Cunoise. Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we're also planning from the southwest, so we've got Tanat and uh, Negret. Oh wow! Putting in, Fun. and then for whites, you know, Viognier, Marsan, Roussan, of course, but also okay. some uh, 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 Claret Blanche and um, uh, Bourboulink and Grenache Blanc mm. and Grenache Gris. Wow, uh, we're really focused on blends. Uh, you know, this is going to be kind of the heart of what we're doing. I mean, we'll we'll certainly have single variety wines uh, too, but the kind of the heart of what we're focusing on are uh, a series of, of blends. Yeah, like a Rhone Superstore. Yeah, just there. really the awesome. following in that in that context that they make a more interesting wine that way than they do on their own. And in terms of winemaking, uh, I mean, you. I'm guessing you're pretty low intervention. Do you have any strict, like natural things that you abide by, or or how do you feel about sulfites? You know that that yeah. kind of thing. Well, uh, we have an exceptional winemaker Nate Wall, and uh, um, he's done a great job here since he came here a couple of years ago. And um, so it's very minimalist winemaking, that's for sure. I mean, we are yeah. uh, we do far more work in the vineyard than we do in the cellar. So yeah. we're, I mean, they're all native yeast ferments. We don't add any yeast to anything. Uh, there's no sulfur added until just prior to bottling. It's natural, okay. natural malolactic. So up until um, bottling, there really isn't any any additives, additives at all to the wines. And then we're looking at really low sulfur levels, uh, you know, 30 parts per million below, 
you know so right so uh but i, I you know we i i feel it makes actually a better wine to have at least a small amount of sulfur yeah yeah I, I agree with you yeah it just seems more complete you know more more interesting so we just keep working on keeping that very low we don't use any new oak on anything uh, okay that's an advantage of uh, having willamette valley as a neighbor is that we oh, can yeah. uh, there's a lot of new oak <laughs> people that love new oak so there's this constant stream of beautiful burgundy barrels <laughs> to purchase out of willamette valley <laughs> and oh, um yeah and so it's just so it's very yeah i mean we're this is you know is that true of the whites as well y- yes uh-huh. okay yeah yeah everything right. the, i mean the reds it's real basic the reds come in and they're uh uh we you know one ton fermenters and punch down once a day very yeah. very minimalist the whites um whole cluster pressed uh they settle in stainless overnight and then uh barrel everything's barrel fermented yeah and uh, neutral oak so um you know real straightforward we also have some amphora so we're making uh a, a orange wine out of uh, uh vermentino that's done in, on the amphora so it's 10 months on the skins and amphora and then we're also making nice. a white wine in amphora out of vermentino nice so that's yeah, it's real basic. The winemaking side story is always very short, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. So, but our winemaking team, see, is is they they're in the vineyard all the time. I mean, that's right. the difference here. Uh, is uh, uh, I think that's so smart. Yeah, Nate Nate really coordinates the you know all the biodynamic applications and things like that. So deeply involved, we just see that as part of the winemaking process, I guess. So it's, it's yeah, all integrated absolutely. into one, one, one thing. Yeah, absolutely. That, that I, I, I wish more people felt the same way. Uh, <laughs> just again, for their own benefit, it seems like low hanging fruit. If you want to yeah. quality, you know, that, that connection between the two has to be made, you know? Um, right. And if you're going to do a minimalist winemaking, you better have good fruit. Otherwise you're in big right. trouble. <laughs> right. And if you're not going to do minimalist winemaking, I'm not that interested in drinking it, honestly. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd rather taste the land than your chemistry. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's well, a fascinating project. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're now bringing in, uh, again, that biodynamic layering. So we're bringing in sheep and chickens this year. Uh, we would have brought the sheep. I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, we would have brought the sheep in earlier, but we had to wait for the uh, uh, the guard dogs. Uh, we had to get in a waiting list to get our guard dogs trained because uh, you need guard dogs around here for sheep. Otherwise, they're more or less lunch. So for coyotes, coyotes, uh, cougars, uh, oh, okay. occasional Pretty wolves. Much, yeah, all the big predators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. the, yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, undeveloped land around here, you know, like the mountains. <laughs> so there's lots of lots of natural habitat for all these predators. Right, but the sheep I, are just too tempting, I guess. I I know somebody who's using uh, llamas as yeah. sort of sheep protectors. Have yeah. you heard about that? Yeah, yeah, you see a lot of that up here too, and everything. Okay. We're going with uh, uh, a yeah. couple of uh, Pyrenees. Yeah, that uh, that sounds more. I don't know somehow effective yeah <laughs> right know, right llamas so, seem like 
Yeah, I mean, they're bigger, but they sort of look like sheep. So I don't yeah, know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I mean, but so it's, it, it's being involved in that whole process. You know, we're developing a garden uh, now. We call it a garden. It's two acres, I suppose. That's a pretty big garden, but uh, uh, you know, and then we want to focus on heirloom varieties and develop heirloom, heirloom vegetables, and oh, and great. eventually um, developing so uh, biodynamic seeds. And we would would. Uh, uh, you know, sell the seeds too. We we planted uh, uh, 200 apple trees, cider apple, French cider apple varieties. So we'll oh, be wow. doing cider in a couple of years. That's yeah. exciting. And uh, uh, we're looking. I'm fan. looking to make a partnership with either a brewer or a uh, a distiller, a craft distiller, to um, uh, grow some grain for them too. Oh. Uh, so we had you know, apples, yeah. sheep, vegetables, grains, and grapes. Yeah, I'm always shocked how few organic or biodynamic beers and spirits there are. Um, you know, grain based or or grape yeah. based for the brandies and you know things like that. I it's you know you have to you have to work to find it, and I'm like, I I, I think it must derive from that sense that. Oh, it's, I, I don't know what it derives from the sense that it doesn't make sense to me, but I, I guess just the fact that there's so little grain that's grown organically in, in America right. that it, that that's probably what it derives from. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that, uh, for anybody who is growing grain, <laughs> yeah. uh, to make, especially to make a beverage, an alcoholic beverage. Um, yeah. that's great. But it, it's a fascinating project to be able to be involved in all these different levels and, yeah, that, and uh, basically and starting with a blank slate. Do you have different people that oversee each thing under you, like a, you know, grain person, an apple person, a garden person, or is or, or how do how do you manage all that? <laughs> well, <laughs> is it you? <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, it's a, it's a team effort. I mean, that's really okay. the key to everything. Is uh, I have uh, uh, four four guys on the vineyard crew that are here all year long, and they have Got it. really uh, branched out. So they're you know they're doing all these projects too. Yeah, that, so, that's fantastic. And, yeah. You know, it's like I said, the winemaking team, the taste room, everybody is involved in everything. So that's that's what it takes to do it. Is you just have to have a great team. And and uh, just great. And, and and you know everybody's engaged, so it's it's exciting. Yeah, I love it. Well, cool. It sounds like a new beginning at Troon uh, f- for a for a historic place, which is kind of it's something kind of fresh and exciting about that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That's how uh, that's how I feel. That's how it makes me feel. So. <laughs> Uh, and you're happy there. I mean, you wouldn't, you're, you're, you're doing okay. Do you have to, do you, do you feel the need to get out of Applegate Valley often to go get to restaurants or anything like that? <laughs> well, in, in a normal world, you know, being in the wine business, you <laughs> right, usually get to travel. travel. So that wasn't, uh, that wasn't an issue until this year. Uh, right. but, uh, I guess this is a pretty good place to be, uh, uh, out in the wide open rural spaces, as compared to an urban environment during these days. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, that's the wonderful thing about the wine business, of course, is that connection to the, uh, the, the culinary side and the, uh, uh, the, the, all these interesting wine shops throughout the country. It's really an interesting uh, industry right now. 
and hopefully we'll the 2021 will get back to a more normal situation i couldn't feel worse obviously for our uh, restaurant friends who have uh, yeah. suffered more than anyone uh, we've been able we've been fortunate you know with the pickup of retail business the wineries are are hanging in there but the restaurants right. obviously are not yeah i've i've seen the worst of the worst because I, I live in Los Angeles and have worked in the entertainment industry for a while, uh, as well as the wine industry. And, and, you know, I, I either know everybody I know is either a waiter, a bartender or, right. you know, a wine director or right. something. Yeah. Right. Know, it's like, uh, uh, they, and they're all just out of work. I mean, no, it's, LA yeah. is a disaster. I mean, it's really, yeah. really bad. So, uh, but I mean, the whole country is kind of in that boat right now. And, yeah. uh, uh, well, we're looking forward to that returning. So right now it's not a big issue for me because you can't go anywhere anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for doing this. It's oh, how pleasure. can people find out more about Troon or, or, you know, just learn about what you're doing or, or anything, what, any kind of contact information or, or yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you want to give out. Yeah. Troon Vineyard, T R O O N, uh, dot com. Uh, you can find a lot of information there. Uh, we, we really try to keep it updated with a lot of uh, data and what we're doing. Um, it's a really beautiful website as well. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Camp, and that's a good place to kind of keep up on what, what I'm doing. Great. And Troon Wines also. We're, we're, we're pretty active on social media. So, okay, uh, got it. Especially if you're into... Uh, photos of winemaking and wine growing you'll you'll mm. like our uh, social media i love that okay well thank you so much craig i really appreciate you getting on and and introducing us to troon and and telling us about yourself it's been great oh, my it's pleasure nice. thanks for the opportunity absolutely and uh we'll I'll be in touch i can't wait to try some of this stuff as well thank you Adam. Thanks for listening. Again, I really appreciate your time and attention. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to support this podcast, of course, reviews on iTunes and anywhere else are very helpful. Also, please feel free to email me at adam at centraliswine.com. Give me your feedback, ask any questions, you know, anything honest would be much appreciated. That's adam at c-e-n-t-r-a-l-a-s wine.com which is also my winery, centraliswine.com, where you can buy bottles of wine which support this podcast and organic viticulture because that's all we do at our winery. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Enjoy.